0: From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. There comes a point when your friends start getting pregnant, and they both do and do not want to tell you all about it. Their lives have changed. They're trying to explain what it's like, but they're not quite sure what to say. What's normal and what's actually weird? What's too gross to speak aloud to another living being? What if pregnancy has already made you a boring mom cliche? Or what if talking about pregnancy is just going to scare off all your non-pregnant friends forever? My colleague Sara Abdurrahman has two kids now, and she still remembers the way people talked about pregnancy before she got pregnant.
1: There's so much stuff that like all of your friends that are like, just do it. It's great. Just great. They don't tell you the bad stuff
0: until you're locked in. And then they're like,
1: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that does happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's really terrible.
0: So on this episode, we are asking, what is it actually like to be pregnant? Even if you've never been pregnant, you've probably got a vague awareness of the greatest hits. Puking, peeing all the time, swollen feet. might even possess a fun fact or two, like, did you know your hair will be amazing? Or did you know you'll have 50% more blood? But what about all the other stuff? The things you don't expect when you're expecting.
1: The most surprising thing that happened to me when I was pregnant
0: was that I realized I had two extra nipples. Both times I was pregnant, my butt went flat. I grew extremely long eyebrow hairs, like they would dip
2: down into my eyes, be like one stray hair kind of clinging over the top of my glasses. I (laughs) got a varicose vein on my clitoris. The shape
1: of my cornea actually changed. I wore contacts and they just felt like
3: they were scratching my eyeballs. And so I went to my optometrist and told him, and I mentioned that I was pregnant. And he basically said, like, oh yeah, your eyes have completely changed
2: shape. After 12 years of working in front of a computer, my first pregnancy gave me carpal tunnel syndrome. What the fuck?
3: There's only one way that your boobs feel. It's not like a period thing or when you're like, oh, this hurts a little bit. It's like... Oh, my God, there's something different going on in my boobs. (laughs) (laughs) This is
0: Stella Bugby, my boss at The Cut, and she loves suggesting that I go ahead and get pregnant. She's one of the, just do it, it's great people. And yet, if you actually sit her down and get her talking about what being pregnant is like, it does not necessarily sound
3: great. The first time I was pregnant, I was pregnant with twins, which I wouldn't wish on literally anyone my doctor told me I had to eat 3,200 calories a day, which is hard yeah. to achieve. Actually,
0: what were you eating in a day?
3: I would eat like three pork chops. I would wake up in the middle of the night and eat two yogurts. I would eat. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> when the children Not were born, normal. we called them the tofu di cuties <laughs> because I ate so many tofu di cuties while I was pregnant with them, and I would sit and eat like four <laughs> tofu cuties in a sitting. And I didn't really even want to be eating that much, but everyone around me was like, you have to feed the twins, the twins, the twins. And I was just like, I remember like midway through pregnancy was when I stopped sleeping basically for the last 15 years. Like I haven't properly slept since then because I I learned to wake up in the middle of the night around three, have a meal, (laughs) go back to
0: bed. A lot of what Stella's saying sounds like pregnancy 101. Like, sure, you have to eat a lot of food. It's just that the reality— Four cuties at 3 a.m. Feels so much weirder than it sounds in the abstract. Like, you know, the baby kicks. But that doesn't mean you're prepared to see a tiny human foot protruding from your abdomen.
3: It's a pretty weird experience to watch your stomach take on a life of its own. To watch arms and legs, like, move across your own skin... Like, and you saw that. Oh, yeah. Like, so you, you'll you be, like, sitting on the couch and an arm or an elbow, or in my case, two arms or two elbows, will just poke out like aliens outside of your stomach. And you can see the baby, especially when you have twins. Like, it's very weird. And stretch marks. Probably, yes,
0: you think you'll get stretch marks. But you don't expect to watch your skin slowly tear as if tectonic plates were shifting and continental rifts opening on your belly.
3: I hadn't had a single stretch mark, nothing. And then maybe 48 hours before I went into the hospital for a scheduled C-section, I remember just sitting on the couch and being like, oh, like, ow. Something is like itching my stomach skin and like pulling up my shirt and seeing almost like the skin go like, like from belly button outward and sort of like, Earthquake oh, level of stretch marks. fault like, uh, lines appearing. Yes, just like, and I just remember being like, no,
4: mm. like, how did this happen?
0: Stretch marks, kicks. Theoretically, at least, you're prepared for these things to happen, even if you can't quite imagine how. But there are plenty of things you aren't prepared for at all. For example, you are probably not prepared to smell like a sandwich.
4: One of my best friends told me how in her pregnancy, she developed this really specific BO that she called, like, an un- Italian sub. <laughs> like, because she was like, it was like a combination of, like, raw onion and, like, vinegar. Mm-hmm. She was like, it was really sour, like, really acrid. And she was like, I hated it. And it kind of freaked me out. And her husband is a chef uh-huh. who grew up in New Jersey eating, you know, like, Italian food. And uh-huh. I think it freaked her out because, like, he was weirdly kind of into it. <laughs> This is Angela Garbus. She's
0: a writer in Seattle. And even after Angela had her first kid, pregnancy still seemed mysterious. She'd been through it, but there was so much she didn't know, which was how she wound up researching and writing a book called Like a Mother, A Feminist Journey Through the Science and Culture of Pregnancy. One of the things Angela talks about in her book is how different pregnancy stories can be from the standard issue version of Bump Followed by Baby Bjorn. Tell me, how many pregnancies have you had?
4: How many have I had? <laughs> Let's see here. I had, um, I've had five pregnancies total. So I had two babies. Mm-hmm. I've had two, oh, sorry, six pregnancies. So I've had two babies, mm-hmm. um, two pregnancy losses, and one abortion. Is that right? Wait, is that total? Was my math right? You know, it's a lot of numbers. (laughs) I think that was five. (laughs) It's five. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) That's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But I think it's, I mean, it's a, I love that I don't even know. Yeah. Um, But um, yeah, like we tend to think of pregnancy as, as having this one straightforward story, which is you get pregnant and you have a baby. And that is not what happens. For Angela, those pregnancies are intertwined. When she tells the story of giving birth to her older daughter, she starts with
0: the miscarriage that came first.
4: I mean, I was a disaster for her. Um, I mean, I bled for like a full week, and it was really like days of, you know, sobbing hours in bed. It was mm-hmm. one of the more intense emotional experiences I've ever had. And it's still something that I still feel it as, as part of me. She was worried she'd done something wrong
0: or that there was something wrong with her. So she went to the doctor to see when she could start trying again. She wanted to know whether she'd even be able to get pregnant, or whether she needed to start coming to terms with not having a kid. At a certain point, though, Angela and her husband decided they needed to take their minds off the whole thing. They were going to go out, forget about trying to get pregnant, and have a night out like they used to when they first got together.
4: We had martinis at our house, we went out to our favorite restaurant, and then we went out dancing to, like, a 90s R&B night and did shots of tequila, like... You know, freedom. I was high on freedom. basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, so the next morning my doctor called at, like, you know, just a little before 8 a.m. And he was like, so I think you're pregnant. I mean, I was deeply hungover, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm not pregnant. I don't think so. <gasps> There's been a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, OK, let's start over. Um, <laughs> this is your doctor and I'm calling to tell you that you are pregnant. Angela had not expected that her first reaction to this news would be, oh, God, have I pickled my
0: future child in tequila? That was the first of many questions she had. And the questions didn't stop after the baby was born. She kept talking with other moms she knew, trying to find words to express what she was feeling.
4: It was uh, it was just something that I knew, like on a tissue level, like maybe in my bones. I was like, something about me is different. I am the person that I have always been. Um, but I something has changed in me. And... You know, I I, like tossed this around to friends and they were like, oh, no, totally, 100%. Like, I'm deep down, I'm somehow slightly different. Um, And so, this is what I was Googling (laughs) like, somehow slightly different. (laughs) Like, somehow, like, cellularly different. Yeah. And there were a few articles that came up of this thing that I had never heard of, which was microchimerism, which is that, yes, like, you acquire the cells of another person.
0: Microchimerism is a medical term for the presence of someone else's cells roaming free inside your body. Doctors used to think this was rare, but recent studies have shown that it's actually pretty common. Cells from a fetus cross over into the mother, or they can live on for decades.
4: In one of the studies, you know, there was a woman who, she died, and she had given birth over 70 years ago, and they found cells from her son in her brain. So she had lived the majority of her life with someone else's cells inside of her.
0: We're still not sure what the fetal cells do in there, what kind of effect they have on a mother's health. But they can persist regardless of how a pregnancy ends. You can lose it or have a baby or have an abortion and still carry part of that pregnancy with you. The thing that struck Angela as she was working on her book was how much about pregnancy was unknown. It wasn't just that she didn't have the answers, it was that no one did. The researchers she was talking to kept telling her, we just don't know. Some of that uncertainty has to do with medical ethics. Scientific studies on pregnant people are few and far between. But some of it has to do with the way people like to imagine moms to be. Wholesome, glowing, vaguely fragile. There's a tendency to imagine that just because a mom is baby adjacent, she ought to be kind of like a baby herself. Like wearing cute little dresses and certainly never drinking beer. Which makes it harder to acknowledge pregnancy experiences like this.
4: The really weird thing was that I was just like, I was just incredibly horny. <laughs> like People get like really like just randy and like I'd be like, oh, I just spent like two hours on an online porn site, like, <laughs> which is not something that I ever did before, but it just felt like this is like what I like need to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is my priority <laughs> at this time is looking at porn. <laughs> and this actually was something we heard from a lot of you.
1: Hi, my name is Carol.
5: So I'm a woman in my 50s now, but I've, I've raised two girls, and I remember quite distinctly during both pregnancies how surprised I was by how horny I was all the time. I never have wanted it
2: that much in my life, ever. Just like walking around could get me close to orgasm. I grew up in a really evangelical culture where I was often told that men think about sex every seven seconds, and I always, found that to be doubtable as I became an adult. But then when I was pregnant, I started to feel like maybe I understand that. I started having wildly
0: vivid dreams about being a man and having sex with a woman, like nonstop, every single night. There's the all-in approach to being pregnant, watching your body with curiosity and fascination, embracing all the changes as they happen. But that's not for everyone. And it was definitely not for Lisa Miller.
2: I really did not like being pregnant. Why not? I didn't like not feeling in control of my body. Lisa is a staff writer at New York Magazine. Her daughter is a teenager now. I think pregnancy is like baking. Like, there are people who like to bake, who are totally cool with just sitting and waiting to see how it comes out. <laughs> and I am not like, I'm not that person. I'm a good cook, but I hate baking. I want to, like, mess with it and feel fuss and fiddle and, like, a little adjust salt, and a little, see. Yeah. The waiting and getting bigger and bigger and, like, that part I did yeah. not like at all. Lisa hated feeling out of control.
0: It wasn't just that she had to sit around and wait for the baby to be ready. It was also that she couldn't do the things she'd normally do, ordinary things that she totally took for granted.
2: Like, okay, the week before I gave birth, so that at that point you're huge— There had been a big snowstorm. I had a fight with my husband. I wanted to go out for breakfast. He didn't want to go out for breakfast. I was like, fine, I'm going to go out for breakfast. I'd been out to breakfast by myself a million times in my life. Yeah. But I couldn't put on my snow boots. I remember being so furious and frustrated because I just wanted to, like— peace out yeah. and go out to breakfast but it were, there was full of snow and I couldn't get my boots on I needed his help I just had a fight oh. with him you tried to like leave it off and, I <laughs> and like he did help me put the boots on he didn't come with me to breakfast good sport but I was so like it was so not what I had in my head but I loved the baby yeah That part of it was cool.
0: Coming up after the break, the urgent and unexpected questions that arise when you get pregnant. For example.
1: At a place like the New York Times, where is a woman supposed to puke?
0: That's when we return. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. Today on the show, we're asking what it actually feels like to be pregnant. What are the things that take you by surprise? How does your relationship to your own body change?
2: My body hair just stopped growing. Just no body hair.
0: I was like a seal.
1: Parts of my body began to discolor like magenta. And I began to feel like a lizard.
3: I looked like a pregnant Brad Pitt.
0: A seal, a lizard, a pregnant Brad Pitt. I always think about this essay by Lydia Kiesling, where she wrote that being pregnant made her feel like a whaling ship and also like a whale. You say words like these, and you hope they can conjure the sheer strangeness of pregnancy. If you're lucky, you've got friends who have some idea what you mean when you say it's like being a ship. Sometimes though, you're sailing off alone.
5: I was the first person out of my friend group to get pregnant. This is Carla Bruce
0: Eddings. She's a book publicist and writer, and she's written about motherhood for the cut. She was 27 when she took a pregnancy test and found out she was pregnant. The results were a surprise, but she and her partner got excited pretty quickly.
5: We spread the news really fast. <laughs> like, I think we we told our landlord... That day, we told our immediate friend group, we were like, we're pregnant. We like, had them over. Yeah. Um, and, you know, someone brought a box of diapers. Like, Whoa. congratulations. <laughs> like, yeah. Months and,
4: in
0: advance. Right.
5: And we had the diapers in the apartment. And just having that box was like, oh, we have to move like tomorrow because our place is really, really small. Yeah.
0: Only someone who's never known anyone who's had a baby shows up with a box of diapers when they hear you're six weeks pregnant. Carla's friends were excited for her, but they also had no clue what was happening.
5: So I was getting a lot of, like, really fascinated, like, you know, tell me more about. Yeah. And, you know, they're fun to answer at first, but then I just want someone to commiserate with who gets it.
0: Meanwhile, Carla was feeling like she needed to transform her life in anticipation of the baby. Like she needed to become an adult who already had everything completely together before she could become a mom.
5: I immediately wanted to renovate the entire apartment. I wanted to go to therapy immediately and work on all the things that I thought I would, you know, have in line. Yeah, just I was like, okay, I have nine months to get my entire life in order before I'm responsible for a human being.
0: Pretty quickly, though, she realized that what she actually needed was to find
5: some people who knew what she was going through. So I started a group on Meetup called, what was it called? Moms and Babies of Color in Brooklyn. I wanted to be very specific (laughs) about what I was looking for. And I had a meetup at a bar around the corner from where I lived at the time. And I had like nine women show up. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the best days of my life. Just like meeting all these women who are in varying stages of pregnancy. One woman who could tell us like, here's what happened. Uh Here's, you know, how it all works. And we just complained for like three hours straight. It was amazing.
0: Pregnancy can be isolating. Sometimes that's because you're the first. Carla told everyone she knew right away and still felt like she was in it alone. Other times, though, it's isolating because you feel like you can't talk about it. You have to keep it to yourself. That's what it was like for Rukmini at first.
1: So I'd been trying to get pregnant for many years. Um, I think I started when I was 38, and I finally got pregnant when I was 45. So it was was almost kind of a miracle that I got pregnant at all. This is Rukmini Kalamaki. She covers
0: ISIS and al-Qaeda for The New York Times.
1: I was on the third floor of the New York Times building at the foreign desk, and I heard from my doctor I had been doing a round of IVF. She called me, and I ran into um, a private Conference room, so that I could be alone when 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 she told me, and I thought the news was going to be bad because it had been bad so many times before. I, I just remember hearing the brightness in her voice, and instantly I thought it's going to be good news. But I, I didn't want to let myself hope. And she said, "Rukmini, good news. <laughs> Rukmini, good news." And um, I kind of choked up. I mean, I didn't,
0: yeah. you know, I, I I had gotten to the point where I had accepted that this might not happen. When it finally did, she was thrilled. And that too-good-to-be-true feeling stuck with her for months.
1: There was this thing where in the morning I would wake up from from my sleep and there was a second where I would forget that I was pregnant. But I would have this feeling, it's almost like the feeling that you have as a child when you know it's Christmas Day, this great thing is awaiting you. You know, you're going to go and and there's a bunch of presents waiting for you. It was that feeling. And then my eyes
0: would focus and I would realize, oh, I'm pregnant, oh, <laughs> you know, and I'm still pregnant, uh-huh. yeah. She was thrilled, but she was also worried. After all, she's a war correspondent. What if people assumed she couldn't do her job while she was pregnant? So she tried to keep it secret for as long as she could. My thought process was that I
1: was not going to tell anyone until I absolutely had to. I didn't want my editors to be in the position of having to make a decision of whether they could send the pregnant correspondent Mm -hmm. into a war zone. Uh I realized that that would be a heavy burden. Yeah. An unfair one, you know, because um, if, God forbid, anything went wrong, they would be blamed. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would be seen as having acted recklessly in sending me there.
0: But her editors stood by her. And with their support, plus an OBGYN who was willing to keep in touch via text, Rukmini kept reporting almost the entire time she was pregnant.
1: And during this pregnancy, I was able to be in 10 different countries uh, reporting, including Syria, Iraq, Tajikistan. And in Syria, I showed up when I was almost six months pregnant, and I left just as I became seven months pregnant. And I was there covering the front lines. I was covering the war to take back the last village under ISIS control.
0: As it turned out, the hard part wasn't being pregnant in Syria. It was being pregnant at her office and trying to hide it.
1: There was a period of a couple of months uh, where I I was going to the bathroom a lot throwing up a lot and I have to say this is something that we never talk about but at a place like the New York Times where is a woman supposed to puke? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's stalls. It's five or six stalls, right?
0: You don't be puking in front of your colleagues. No. That's too intimate. No. So, yeah. so I would be, you know, I'd be
1: going to the third floor ladies room <laughs> and I'd be there in like the furthest uh, stall and I, you know, I'd be getting ready and I would hear somebody else come in. I'm like, I don't want to tell people yet. You know, I wasn't ready yeah. to tell people. And so um, the New York Times was in the process of consolidating um, the floors and there was construction going on. And so I was literally multiple times a day going to the 15th floor and going into the bathroom. <laughs> Um, and getting it over with and then going back downstairs.
0: Rukmini wound up feeling like being a pregnant war correspondent wasn't a liability. It was an asset. In Iraq and
1: Syria, it's an amazing conversation starter. And in fact, when I was near the front lines with the, the village of Baguz, that was the last place that was that was under ISIS control, and we were watching these waves of mainly ISIS women and children come out. Uh, all, all the reporters were there, and we were all trying to do the same thing, which was we were trying to find Western members of ISIS uh, to interview. And I found this Canadian woman. I was the first one to to identify her. And she was reticent to speak to me, and then she noticed that I was pregnant, and she was pregnant too. Ah. Um, and that was like the conversation starter. How yeah. many weeks are you? How many weeks are you? You know, what's you know? How do you feel? You know, she's like, oh, I feel like this. I was like, Yeah, I feel like that.
0: Um, and that universal was language, universal oh, shared language shared experience. with yeah.
1: ISIS and with anyone else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pregnancy opens a door to unexpected connections with strangers. Sometimes that's weird and invasive and exhausting. Sometimes, though, it's kind of nice.
4: People really love a pregnant lady, right? They're very tender and, like, protective. Uh I remember I was getting a um, gel manicure, like the shellac, and, you know, you put your nails under that weird UV light, Mm -hmm. and the woman who was doing my manicure was like, and she ran and got, like, the two thickest copies of InStyle that (laughs) were in the nail salon and, like, really dramatically draped them over my belly, like, (laughs) as though that was going to protect me from whatever... (laughs) I was actually in the Port Authority. I was taking an escalator up, and a man who was in
0: construction gear was coming down the escalator. He was trying to get my attention. I was like, oh, no, please don't say anything terrible to me right now. I'm very big, and it's hot and I'm sweaty. This is so anti-stereotype of a construction worker he was calling out, you know, how he was so happy for me and I looked lovely. He was wishing me like a wonderful, you know, birth of my child and <laughs> as we're passing each other on the escalator in opposite directions, he's like, I hope you have a wonderful family and that you have a great labor because you could tell I, I was further along in my pregnancy. So I'm sure I looked very uncomfortable. <laughs> You reach the point where you're so visibly miserable that even strangers are trying to make you feel better. And yet, people still get pregnant. They do it all the time. And they try to get other people to do it too. Stella, my boss, hasn't slept through the night in 15 years. But even so, she is a true evangelist for baby-having. And not just because of the babies, although the babies are cool. After all the sleepless nights spent chugging Tofutie Cuties... She says she's grateful for the experience of pregnancy itself.
3: I think it's a chance for you to get closer to your own experience of being alive. Like, I think it gives you this primal, rooted, human feeling that I can't compare to anything else. And it's one of those things that I'm really glad I got to try. Because it isn't always comfortable, and it is a little embarrassing, and it is a permanent defacement of your formerly beautiful body. And yet, it's kind of great to see what a body can do. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday.
0: And we are doing another sex episode. This one's about figuring out what you want and then figuring out how to get it. So we want to know, what was the turning point for you? What was the moment when you figured out what sex you actually wanted to be having? And why didn't it happen before? Give us a call at 920-368-3341 and tell us all about it. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie, Olivia Natt, and Kate Parkinson-Morgan. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Nazanin Rafsanjani and Stella Bugbee. Special thanks to Collier Meyerson, Shira Smart, A.K. Summers, Jen Gann, Jesse Klein, Izzy Grinspan, Bia Benin, and Jen Louie. Mixing is by Haley Shaw. Our music is by Haley Shaw, Emma Munger, and Peter Leonard. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvan Esso. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut. And if you like great stories like the ones we tell on this podcast, check out One Great Story. It's a new newsletter from New York Magazine featuring one story per day from New York Magazine or The Cut or one of our sister sites. You can sign up at NYMAG.com OGS.